We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And last night, the Lakers had arguably their best win of the season. It was probably their best defensive game, at least for 48 minutes. Held a a very good Utah team under 100 points. They're the best offense in the league, Pete, by like a fair amount. I think it's only the second or the third time all season they've been held under 100 points. And considering the pace the Lakers like to play at, this was a strong defensive performance for sure. It was. And performances like this are why performances like the game against Denver are not acceptable. There's a reason why LeBron James apologized after that game. It was bad. And that was my my argument in yesterday's pod was essentially like, look, I know we've got holes on the roster. Even if we're all healthy, there are places where this team is weak. I see that. When that is compounded upon by an Anthony Davis injury, Kendrick Nunn with this bone bruise, we got a, you know news yesterday that he's he has a setback as well. I, I understand where this team is weak and why. But there are some things just like playing hard and optimizing your talent relative to the players that you have on the floor. There are things that you can do to put the best version of the team that you currently have, flawed as it may be, out on the floor. And that, Darius, that game last night is going to be the standard that I hold the team to going forward. Now, it's funny, the the tone of the intro and whatnot, you were cracking up at me uh, on on a recent one where it's like, we'll be in one mood before the pod and then the intro, you know, my mood changes. I was ready to be all hyped up. I loved that game last night. I was texting you guys during the game, like at halftime, like, look, I don't know how this game's going to end. That first half was the template. That's how we got to play. I was, you saw, it was all caps, texts and, and things like that. But the reason it's a little more subdued is we get a report from The Athletic today that Frank Vogel's kind of coaching for his job on a day-to-day basis. Sure. So I want to start focusing on the game, and we can talk about about Vogel and weave that in however we want to. But it's important to me that in context of just the season in general, like that's the game. This, this current collection of talent 
is capable of that game. I've seen them do this. I've seen them do that. There are a couple, there are two versions of this team. We've talked a lot about the really hideous version that pisses everybody off and just looks absolutely terrible and gets their butts kicked. There's a good team in here too. There's a team that can play fairly well. And we saw that team last night. And so that's why this is the standard that I'm looking to hold this team to, even under its current construction. I would imagine this is how the head coaches want their team to play. There's this idea of let's go out there and compete. Let's go out there and play hard. And that's exactly what they did. I think schematically we should talk about the shifts. Yes, it's it's not just playing harder. Mm-hmm. Anyone who doesn't see a through line between the adjustments in style of play and how hard a team plays, they are fooling themselves. Earlier during the season, I thought... When the Lakers were played two bigs and DeAndre Jordan was in there with Anthony Davis and Russell Westbrook, I thought LeBron James was out there playing like a loaf of bread on defense. He was just sort of out there, bro. I don't know what else to say. He, he was just sort of hanging around. Maybe sometimes I'll make an impact. Maybe sometimes I won't. But for the most part, like, oh, that's someone else's job. And then within the same game, within the same game, I'd see them play small with like two shooters, AD, and then Russ. And suddenly LeBron James is some mix of like the Flash and the Incredible Hulk. Yeah, he's a superhero on defense. Like that Orlando game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, oh, he is everywhere right now. And it'd be silly to sort of disregard the context of the style of play and like what the lineup situation looks like and all of that to how much the team and the players themselves are investing in what is asked of them. And so I don't want to ignore that part at all. I think the question is, and in terms of the standard of play stuff, Pete is there is, There's a baseline level of like effort and attentiveness that I think needs to be applied to whatever you're asked to do. Attention to detail. Right. And I thought in the Denver game, that was so far below that level. It was unacceptable. Yeah. And then with the combination of what the talent was available, I just thought you asked me, like, is this salvageable? And I'm just like, no, not like this, not this group, not them playing this way that ain't it and so i don't want to harp on any of the bad stuff but it's like a tv show that shows you one week like okay well here's all of these unresolved questions and then the next week it's just like it answers them all it's just like oh okay there's the payoff for that thing that we were waiting for the week before that left you sort of puzzled or looking for more answers and the lakers have now answered some questions as to what is a path for them to travel and get to some sort of destination that feels like there's some positivity attached to it and i'm very interested in seeing if that standard is met from an attentiveness and commitment perspective moving forward because there are times where i feel like some of this stuff isn't going to work And that commitment to it still needs to be there because that's how you plow through and still get to positive results, even when you're like not going to win in the end, because I still think it's a process league. And and so we can get more to the shifts. But Mike, as the guy on the ground again, which I love to go to you, there have been some low moments lately. And I thought this last game offered a bunch of highs that I'm sure from the ground level within the arena, it just felt different. 
I'd love to hear your thoughts about some of that stuff too. Man, if you if you kind of remove all of the context behind all of this with the injuries and the coaching stuff and the, the where the Lakers are at this point in the season and you just just watched the two games and you just watched the Denver game and then you watched the Utah game and there's a, a very clear and obvious uh, difference in energy and effort and all that. But I, I try to make this point a lot because I just think it's important, but that isn't that is something that just happens all the time in the NBA, like a team gets blown out, they come back. And it, so if there's no, if there's none of the noise around it, uh, it's, it's like, yeah, when you get, when you get smashed on the court, your own personal pride mixed with sort of the team pride comes out usually the next game. And I thought that's what happened. Now there's all these layers to it. And so why was the energy like that? Why, who was the person that, that started it? Um, what, what led to that lack of effort after the first quarter, which I think we already covered uh, in the last pod. But then there was also this, I think, this expectation that the three of us had, and I think a lot of people had, that they would certainly play better um, today against Utah. And that started in part with that LeBron tweet, which made LeBron accountable for how the effort came today, which in turn made his teammates accountable. Because when LeBron does that, the last thing that his teammates are going to do is, is come out and not play like that. So, I mean, then we, I'm sure we can get in, into the X's and O's and the athleticism and the difference between having Johnson on the court versus Ariza uh, and like all of these, all of these things that go along with it. But I'm, that's the, that's the part to me that I'm, I'm not, I'm struggling to be so surprised uh, to see how both of these things happened uh, based on, on years of watching the NBA. Well, we shouldn't be surprised. This is, is part of the ebb and flow of the NBA. That said, this particular Lakers team is in a a very strange place for a team playing January basketball in that there's not much to fall back on in terms of these guys have played together at least the year before. So like you get hit by all these injuries at the beginning of the year, but your core group of guys and this kind of described our team last year is that we Alex and Kuz and KCP, those guys have been here for years. They've been in Vogel's system for years. So even when injuries strike as they did last year, there's some degree of continuity to, continuity to fall back on. And so with this Lakers team in particular, what makes a night like Denver such a tough pill to swallow relative to that being a normal night for other teams is that we don't have anything established yet to have those types of nights. Like Utah played Detroit recently and they just gave up a ton of points and their their effort on defense was so bad. It was really reminiscent of that Denver game. But Utah is also a team that they had like what the distance between where they are right now, Mike, and what they could be is not that great. With the Lakers, it's to me, it's an ocean. And that doesn't mean that at the end of that, there's an NBA title waiting for the best version of this team. But my argument has really been, we have to get to the best version of this team to even have a chance. And that is always the mission statement of a team is let's get to the best version of ourselves. And where that ends up in the results is something that like you have a certain degree of control over, but a certain degree that you don't. But the what you have control over is getting to the best version of you. Let's take a quick break. I want to come back and address some of the things aside from effort that I think helped us get to that best version of ourselves last night. 
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So Vogel made a starting lineup change against Utah. Dwight had started the game before against Nikola Jokic and then has Rudy Gobert in the second night of a back-to-back. So you have two of the bigger bigs. These are legit fives that I think it is wise to not have LeBron James responsible for that player for 36 minutes a game or however 24 minutes a game, however long they would overlap. So but it, so it was Dwight. Dwight stayed in the starting lineup. But what changed was that Trevor Ariza was introduced to, into it instead of Malik Monk. And Monk ends up going back to the bench. Now, what that decision did, I think, coalesced an idea that I think is really important for our team going forward. We've been talking about this idea of having a group that's kind of responsible adults and a group that they're fun and fast. And that's the group that goes to bed at 3 a.m., right? That's the group that goes to Vegas together. The responsible adults do not go to Vegas together, D, right? And so that starting group. Now, it was not a, it was, this is my point. That starting group was not good. It had three players in it that are not starting caliber players in the NBA in 2022. And because of that, they got their butts kicked. But the idea of the group overall made sense to me. If you look at this team through the lens of their defensive coverages, that's that's where this really makes sense. That's your group that if you want to run drop coverages and you want to fight over the top of screens, you do it with Avery Bradley at the point of attack and with Dwight Howard in the paint. Dwight's going to be less capable of switching if you want to switch at a point uh, you know, during that game. You are pretty big across the board. And so you can kind of play this old man style of basketball. These are the, this is the responsible adults crew. Now, ideally, that's Anthony Davis instead of Dwight Howard. Ideally, that's Kendrick Nunn instead of Avery Bradley and even Mellow instead of a reason. Now, like starting and all of that, I, I don't necessarily mean Mellow starting, but the point is that the, the nature of the overall group is that responsible adults group. And then we had a second group that was athletic and fast, and it was LeBron or or even Ariza. There was a group that didn't have LeBron or Russ on the floor, but it's Austin and Stanley Johnson, who were two main characters in yesterday's pod, right? And and they're fast, and they're playing defense, and they just play with a lot of verve and life, and they're switching. And so the I saw an establishment of two units with really tangible identities, D, that even that, though that first unit was one we were texting during the game, like, you know, we just got to survive these minutes. And we did the first 
shift and the last two, not so much. But that establishment of the identities, I, I think, and, and those two different groups is something that going forward beyond the Utah game is really important for this team. And I, so I was really excited to see that in this game. I think the differences in style of play, they sort of remind me of like the 2008 Lakers team or even the 2009 team. Nine team with that bench unit that was mm-hmm. where they had like that really young bench unit that was like Farmar and Sasha. Sasha. Ariza. It's Ariza. funny seeing him like yes. be an old man <laughs> in some of these fast break situations. I was well, like, the contrast between it's like, I don't know if y'all ever saw that movie Looper. It's oh, a, <laughs> right. But it's Stanley like, Johnson. <laughs> but Stanley Johnson and Ariza, right? They're sort of seeing each other. And it's just like, oh, I, re- I remember. I remember you. You were me basically like 15 years ago. I think that's an interesting idea that that you're putting forward about like this is the style that this team can play or that this unit can play versus the style that like another unit can play. Um, And I thought that that worked about as well as it could work against the Jazz considering the talent available, right? Um, I thought the first shift, just like you said, was okay. I thought going back to that group to close the half – was not I I was not as enthused about seeing that group again. I would have preferred only two shifts for that group rather than three because again to start the half in the second half I thought that that group again surrendered some points mm-hmm. and was sort of bleeding out based off the fact that there was just one too many slow-footed guys that was on the court and that ability to rotate Mike Utah really does put you in a blender and similar to the Suns where like the system is one of their stars, like they're super reliant on what their system can produce for them, which is why I think in a minute we'll get to the switching and how that sort of takes out a system like that. But so Darius, quick note on that, though, because it's this is a little bit more about Utah, but I just I just think that it's relevant to having a LeBron James type team like Utah. Their continuity has been insane, right? They they had the fourth most used lineup last year with their starters, like you know, almost seven hundred minutes. This year, they're number one, uh, you know, four hundred more minutes. They and they just stick exactly to it, which again, most nights is super helpful. But they didn't switch a thing up in that fourth quarter. They played the same guys. They basically they basically played an eight man rotation on the second night of a back to back after playing Denver. They kept Rudy on the floor for all those minutes. And by the way, it's not like it's all his, I'm not one of those guys who's it's all Rudy's fault. I'm it's the small guards and unathletic wings around Rudy Gobert's fault. That doesn't work, but mm-hmm. they could have thrown like Eric Paschal uh, out there for some minutes. Like he could have hurt some of those Lakers small ball units. Right. There just was so like, that's the thing about them that I just never really buy into. Um, So, and I, and I thought the Lakers were able to take advantage of it with, like Stanley Johnson and LeBron, Stanley Johnson literally figuring out that moment almost as LeBron's like, hey, uh, keep attacking right here. Yeah, like, put him Rudy, in ball screens. Yeah, you have him defend the ball handler. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And like, and I asked, somebody asked Stanley after the game, he's like, well, yeah, LeBron's smart. Like they just, it's so, you know, these are the things that if the answers are, are obvious like that. Uh, so sorry, Darius, to cut you off there. I just, I just thought that was interesting watching. I'm like, what? This is, we've seen this how many times? And Utah's still doing the same stuff. Listen, so long as this is the LFR pod, whenever you want to go on an anti-Utah rant, just 
non sequitur. We don't have to be talking about Utah. It can be just about just be like, you know what? I got something to say. Everything's going to stop and you're going to get the floor in the spotlight, sir. So you don't ever have to apologize for, for that. Yeah, Mike, well, okay. we could be talking about like... Um, Plus, plus, Darius can just keep. Yeah, it's not like Darius is going to struggle getting back to his point. So, no, we could talk. We could be talking about educational systems, Mike, and the, and That's then right. you're just like systems. Well, you know the jazz system, the jazz system, <laughs> right? It's flawed. Yeah, it's not sustainable. It won't work and in I, the playoffs. And I'm a big That's fan. Fine. And I'm a big fan of Quinn Snyder, and don't think it's his fault. Uh, by the way, uh, anyway, back to you, Darius. Former Laker assistant coach Quinn Snyder, Mike, to That's bring it back to the Lakers side. I just thought that the Lakers in general, and, and I have no idea what we were even talking about before. See, so you even prompted me and said, like, oh, it's not like Darius will have a problem getting back to his point. But here I am totally forgetting about where we were entirely. <laughs> we were talking about the establishment of two separate units. Oh, right? yes. Yes. And that I, that idea of, of playing two different styles of basketball relative to the guys you have on the floor. So let's go to break because actually when we come back on the other side, I do want to talk about that second group because I think the way that that second group played is more in line with like the style that this group is best suited for and that that first group was more the changeup. So Pete, I think it's interesting that most baseball pitchers, if they're two pitch pitchers, they're fastball changeup pitchers, they always lead with their fastball. And then they come with their changeup, right? And it's probably like 70, 30, 60, 40 at the most. Or but curveball. Are, Let's throw curveballs in with changeups in that you have one fast pitch, one slower pitch. Yes. That, like one, two, two different types of pitches. Yes. Yeah. One that's off speed, right? Yeah. And so, but the Lakers went with their off speed pitch as their opening salvo to the Jazz. And I think it's interesting because the... It was like a shot of caffeine when the Stanley Johnson, Austin Reeves, Malik Monk group came came in. And Mike, I thought it was a pretty astute text message that you sent even before the game when we were talking about the oh, starting yeah, group. Mm-hmm. Because Mike said, oh, well, this is an interesting starting lineup, but this leaves a really sort of athletic and mm-hmm. young bench group to play around, around LeBron. LeBron. Mm-hmm. And that was the group, Mike, that closed the game. And so in the first half, that group did play with Ariza, and they held tight, but they closed the game with that group. So yeah, Mike, Mike's observation about that at the beginning was like, that's what led us to that determination of, oh, this starters group, this is the group we have to survive. These have been our Frankenstein lineups, our survival lineups all year. What I think this is, again, this is part of coaching is that you're going to have injuries or just like, man, what do I do with this? And you have to figure out the answer to that. And so that idea, we've had this idea all year long where for the preservation of good lineups elsewhere, we're going to play these kind of funky lineups in other places. And that's led to like Russell Westbrook and Rajon Rondo minutes together in that we're just trying to steal three minutes here and not get blown out and just play this kind of weird lineup. What I think that did, and and your observation on that, Mike, is if you're going to play a Frankenstein lineup that has a few guys that are like, I'd rather not, but this is the circumstances we're in, you should probably have LeBron James and Russell Westbrook in the game next to them just to like raise your floor a certain degree. And so, and you nailed that because that's exactly how the game went is we survived sort of those starting groups, but man, we, we kicked, kicked their asses with that smaller group around LeBron. 
a big part of my job just for just for the TV broadcast is finding out before the game. All right, what's what's the lineup going to be? Because it's the it's more of a format thing. But I think that we overstate that a lot of times uh, by by discussing who's starting and make that be sort of the be all end all. When sometimes a guy is in there just for fit or because there's a roster deficit uh, deficiency off the bench that night or whatever it might be. And what the coaches have done is spend the whole previous night kind of mapping out in the way, honestly, that, that Pete does sometimes and sends us long text messages sometimes. about what the about what the group is going to look like for every single um, every single second on the floor, ideally, right, against what the uh, they expect the other team to do. And and I, I do think that was part of it yesterday. And even with that said, you know, I to me, the minutes should not be equal right now between a couple of the guys. And just for like with, and this is where it gets tricky because Ariza is in such a tough spot, having had to shut it down for this period of months at this stage of his career, and then come back in and play NBA basketball. Whereas Johnson at age 25, all of the energy in the world, like it's going to look a certain way. And I think it's more of a big picture thing to try and find out, you know, what Ariza can really do. But like last night, and this I think was to Pete's point in the previous pod, having more of Johnson or more of Reeves, and maybe a little bit less Ariza Bradley if, if we're even having to name names like that. Plus minus wise, eye test wise, like that all makes sense. It's to me, again, it's just more of a nature for a guy like Frank of how do I maximize all of these guys, keep everybody engaged. And and it's not an easy puzzle. Uh, it's not an easy puzzle to to fix. But that's why for for last game, like there there was a pretty big difference in the plus minus when yeah. you look at and, and and it's not one of the, it's not an arbitrary one to me like it was one that we forecasted before the game started it's not the bench units kicked everyone's ass and the starting group basically held on the lakers won by what six points and when you look at the plus minus it's just like oh okay well look at all of these double digit positives on the bench group and then lebron is sort of in the middle and then all of the all of the rest of the starters are almost like double digit deficits as well. And so the LeBron was what so what did LeBron end up with? He was a so LeBron was a plus 11. Every other star starter was at least a minus 11. And so that basically tells you the story of the game right there. LeBron got to close the game with the bench unit that were all like plus 13 or higher. And that was it. The funny thing about this lineup stuff that we're discussing. I want to get back to that idea, Pete, of it being very similar types of pieces and guys who fit into a very specific style. Some of the lineups that the Lakers have sort of been thrust into or have chosen to play based off of what the head coaches decided or the coaching staff have reminded me a little bit of that scene in like Toy Story 1 where they're at the neighbor's house and the neighbor sort of takes apart all of the toys and then he like puts together back like the toys back together but like none of the parts are like the same pieces right yes so it's like a barbie doll body stuck on like a spider's legs and then it's got like claws for for an arm right and so all of these toys are are sort of like ill-fitting pieces together and they still move like move around and that's that idea of the frankenstein stuff right it's yeah, just like exactly. a piece of but this. they're kind of hideous right yeah. like it's yeah like a piece of this a piece of that and we're going to make this work and like i said some of that has been self-inflicted some of that has been thrust upon the coaching staff and i think mike's point about 
sorting through all of that stuff and trying to find workable lineups that will like you said too, Pete, like survive over a four-minute stretch, a five-minute stretch. Can we get six minutes out of this group? Oh, no, six minutes was too many. No, get up, you get to the scorer's table. No, there's no break in the play. Oh, no, there's another four points, another five points. Timeout, right? Because the three-point lead is now ballooned to 11. And it's just like, well, damn, that didn't work. And like, Basketball is tricky like that. Flow sports are like that, right? It's not like football where it's just like, okay, play stoppage. Let's move more subs in or even a hockey line shift. So portending towards the future, like I still think it's going to be difficult to be like, okay, well, we've got one group that does this and one group that does that. You like, I think that you can have that, but you need those bridge groups that can do a little bit of both of those things, right? And that's where Anthony Davis comes in to me because AD can switch and he can be very effective doing that. He can be sort of an off ball destroyer of worlds, like as like even a he power can play forward. Any style defensively, right? yeah. yes. Or he can be in the middle of the frame as like a drop coverage big. So where do you see this going? Because you've been advocating for this sort of shift for a while. Do you think that they need to be all in and like this all of the time? Because the roster doesn't really fit that. Just like you said, there's too many players who need to do other stuff that doesn't necessarily fit with this like young, fast group that's going to switch everything and jump passing lanes and really play fast. I think this is the healthiest way to having multiple pitches in the first place. One of my concerns about this team was that I like I felt that they've needed to play a, a particular way to win. And I've I've voiced my, you know, opinions on what that looks like. But if you only have one pitch, and this is something you've spoken to, D, is like, for example, Memphis. We're a team that comes in, oh yeah, we're small. We want to play fast. We want to get up and down the court. And Memphis, with all their big ass wing athletes, go, great. Oh, you want to funnel us into the paint too? You won't fight over the top of screens and, and and have Avery Bradley try to check Zaire Williams on a lob. Thank you. And so that's the problem of having one look or like one main thing. Like you got to be Mariano Rivera yeah. to throw that one pitch and and have it be just so nasty that you can know that it's coming, and you, but you just can't quite get there. I actually think that that – so that group, that group where we could have that – nasty closeout pitch can only exist if we have all three of our stars. So the idea that we can get to that level of basketball right now or anytime soon without Anthony Davis is, and we got good news on AD last night, right? That may be the biggest news of the night. And the most important is that he's been cleared to return to basketball activities. And so what this means going forward is I think that the establishment of a responsible adults group that beats you with strength and can play drop coverages is important. We don't have enough personnel to switch the entire game. I think, but I think playing a switching unit, especially those LeBron units, not funneling offenses into the paint, but keeping them in front and switching with aggression. This is something that Derek Fisher was talking about on the postgame show after the Denver game is that like with those smaller groups, you want to you want to not just switch because they made you. It's a peel off switch because you were forced like, oh, crap, last minute. They just set a good screen. Now we have to switch. It's like, no, I'm Stanley Johnson. I'm stepping out as soon as that screen comes together and I'm guarding you and I'm doing the best that I can. That's the reason why. With those groups in particular, Stanley Johnson and Austin, and probably Stanley more than Austin in this respect, is 
those are the guys that are the true innings eaters, Darius, to get us from January to the point where, say, there's a future where Ariza is moving around a little bit better. I, I think there's a, a not unreasonable future where Trevor Ariza is now a 16 game player. And that might be as an eighth man type of role, right? I'm not saying that as this huge role, but he's not going to get us there in terms of his quality of play, I think, between now and then. But I think that when that juice and that energy and all of the playoff, I think we have a few guys on this team that some of the things that we don't see them do on a night like last night or certainly a night like Denver is something that we will see going forward in, in in higher stakes type of games. And so... That establishment of two groups that can carry that weight and play styles defensively that match their personnel. There was a, a coming together last night that I was I've been really hoping for for such a long time that I hope continues. Uh, I I don't want to fit into my own stereotype here, and but as you're talking there, I I was first thinking about LeBron and thinking about how he just had a a subtle shift in how he played that game, which was a bit more defensive focused. A bit more energy and effort focused, a bit more uh, kind of making the not always just the extra pass, but certainly the right pass and not not being as aggressive looking for his own offense. Uh, Part of that could have had to do with, you know, Utah did have Rudy Gobert camped in the middle of the paint for a lot of the game. But it just that if you watch if I watch LeBron play that game versus the previous whatever 15 in which he by the way individually has been amazing on offense I would say he looked more like the LeBron from the last couple of seasons uh and and that to me did I think give some opportunity whether it was Russ or whether it was other guys to come in and and like Monk to create some more obviously when he turned it over to Stanley uh in the fourth quarter and and sort of just occupied Utah in other ways and then I thought that filtered down the rest of the roster and maybe that's part of what a blueprint could be yep whether ad is there or not but like that that, and that to me is yeah that to me is is just one point pete i wanted to pull from that no i'm I'm so glad you mentioned that because part of the reason why this is the standard or the blueprint that i want to hold them to going forward is we shot sub 30 percent from three it wasn't a game that we won because lebron was just like that stretch where he scored 30 straight and however many games it was it's like this is a gift. Whenever you get a stretch like this from a, a Hall of Fame all-time great, it's a gift to have that. But you can't build around that like an expectation that, all right, LeBron, go go out there and be Draymond on defense and give us 35 and 15 in year 19. Thank you for that. This is, we're going to build around that idea that you can do that every night. It's foolish. We shot like 60% from the free throw line. Again, sub 30% from from three. We defended. We paid attention to details. We played hard. And there was a play, and I think it was in the second quarter, where I, I we had two on the ball, and I think it was supposed to be a switch. But It was they supposed got to be a switch. Monk and Stanley got confused at the top. They both stayed high, and Monk did not pick up Gobert on the roll. And So we're talking – that is another play. That is a different play that that also has relevance. I'm talking about a different one, though, where we lost Jordan Clarkson on the wing. Oh, yes. And he had a, a an open three on the left wing. And Stanley Johnson started the play when the ball got passed over to JC on the opposite lane line. It's a really long closeout. And one of the reasons that I'm really advocating for both Johnson and Reeves is they play pretty much every shift like it's game seven of the NBA Finals. Stanley Johnson closed out to Jordan Clarkson like it was the most important thing he's ever done in his life. And the the fact that he plays that way, I think, is just really important to getting us to where we want to be. And we need that kind of guy, Mike, 
Pete, did you did you happen to watch the walk off interview? Yes. So how many? This is yes. yes. How you know many how times when I get excited? It reminded yeah, me yeah, of me. Yeah. You know how when I get all like worked up like this, I'm like that was Stanley Johnson. Tell me, talk to me about that post game, man. That was well, classic. Pete was so since I, we remind ourselves that this is the audio format. Pete is moving his hands a lot as he just talked, <laughs> as, as I'm wont to do, yes, as, as any of us are when we get excited, sure. <laughs> and and as Stanley Johnson was, and it was just a. So so with about three or four minutes left, usually, right, I'll text the PR folks and about the kind of a, a ranking of ideal walk-off interview subjects. And in this one, it, so there, if national TV is there, then they get first priority. Uh, if national radio is, otherwise TV does. In this case, I just sent one name, right? Uh, and l- like, let's, I, and I thought that was the obvious choice there. And so Stanley, though, after the game ends, I can I'm on the court in the corner waiting and he is kind of just bouncing around like he's going over to shake people's hands. But he and so <laughs> he's got so much energy that he actually initially walks past um, <laughs> one of the PR representatives, uh, Craig, who's new and is doing a great job. And and like I it, so eventually he's to kind of go back and bring him over and Stanley comes up to me and you could just he could just feel him like this is what he's it's. It's who he uh, well, is, Mike. It's not an act. It's who he is, A. Uh, and But I also think that the those specific circumstances, for him to be able to do that next to LeBron, like kind of basically two-man gaming it with, you know, one of the greatest players of all time, and to come through as a – I was going to say – so he's a Southern California kid, right? Like Anaheim, uh, Fullerton area, and modern day and all that. But but still, like that's still La- – that's Lakers country. You know, absolutely. It's not Los Angeles, but it's that's like that's the team there is the Lakers. And so all of that, I think, is coalescing. And yet for him, it's so simple that it's just all he really can focus on is energy, energy. And I'm like, well, yeah, but you said it was going to be you want to make a couple defensive plays because we happen to have him for the pregame interview. And he was like, I just what I want to do out there. I want to I want to spark the team by making a big play. And he was thinking because he's Stanley Johnson, mostly about defense. But yet it's this offense. Uh, that ends up, and he did make a couple de- defensive plays, by the way. Uh, he as, can do a bunch of different things yeah, on the floor. It's great. The biggest one being the strip of Bogdanovich, where it goes off his leg uh, late, like a, a huge turnover. But it's just the that kind of energy, and and you did touch the, on this, Pete, in the last pod. I, I do really feel like that's that's that injection of life is needed. And I'll just say this, Darius, like it helps when you've got a bunch of size and athleticism. If you want to have that yeah. kind of energy, because I could get out there with all the energy in the world, uh huh, you know, and it might not, it's not going to do that much. And yeah, when so you play ha- as hard as Stanley Johnson and you're six, yeah. seven and you move like that, that that's a great combination. It was a great Stanley game. We'd be remiss too, if we just didn't at least mention Russ blowing the roof off of crypto, mm-hmm. right? When he doing some janitorial services, mopping up the, uh, you know, the little spill of the drink and as well. He, Yeah. Russ's final stat line isn't going to like turn any heads, right? I think he was five for 14 or whatever. But in using Stanley as a little bridge here, I thought the energy that Russ played with, I thought the energy that LeBron played with, but Russ especially, he was into it. He was into the action. He had that monster dunk, but he was feisty defensively. And that idea of switching and playing more towards like aggression and getting up in to guys rather than being reactive, 
there's going to be mistakes that happen with that too. No team is going to play mistake free, regardless of any sort of defensive coverage that that they're trying. But I thought the the play, the reason why I brought up the play before Pete that I was mentioning about the the defensive play is that the Lakers messed up some coverages, but even in messing up, they still were benefactors of Utah mistakes even in plays that the Lakers messed up because the general tenor and tone of the defensive possessions was much more geared towards activity and errors of commission versus errors, errors of omission, which was the Denver game. Yes. And also too, like being back on your heels and reactive rather than being proactive. Right. And I think the thing about Vogel's preferred defense is you can be proactive playing that style too. Right. Like we've seen the Lakers like the championship team, they were smothering defensively and they were getting up into guys and forcing you to go in a certain direction. And then when you got there, they were basically just swarming you with arms and big bodies. And it was a devastating defense. Right. This group, though, they they cannot play that same exact style, particularly without Anthony Davis. And so, so many more of their mistakes seem like they're passive mistakes. Like they are being reactive to what the offense is doing. And then it's just like, well, that didn't work. And now my shoulders are slumping. And now it's sort of just like, okay, well, now the vibe isn't good, right? And so that idea of finding the right path and, and, and finding the right lineups that will do different things and and play to the level that they're capable of the best version of of themselves that may not be the same for every lineup Pete and I thought if That's right. if yesterday's game against the Jazz was a template for anything to me it's that idea of all right well how can we find better alignment with some of these groups to do the things that they're going to be best at in order to, if not be successful, then survive. Mm-hmm. I thought the Jazz game did that, and it produced their best win of the year. And we say this a lot, at least we have this use, and serve as a springboard for something else. Now, I'm not ready to jump on that train yet, because nope. it's just like you need to see it over and mm-hmm. over again, and there's a commitment to that. But showing that they are capable of this, I think, again, speaks to what you were saying, Pete, about being a standard bearer and setting that standard for what they can do. And there does need to be sort of that meeting in the middle between the players and, and the coaches of this is what we expect. These are the ways that we're going to facilitate that to help you do it. And hopefully then we can meet on the other side with some success. There's a lot of progress in last night's game on exactly those fronts. And yeah, I do believe that it's a standard for, for the team going forward them showing that they're capable of this is important, a building block. And to me, it takes some excuses off of the table. I've seen this group, flawed as it may be, play like that. And so that's, I think it's fair to have that expectation going forward. Good night. One of the tests of our resolve. I thought last night was one of those games and we passed it with flying colors. We'll be back tomorrow. We still have a lot of meat left on the bone uh, to talk more about this game and kind of where we're going. Uh, We'll be back tomorrow with more here on the Laker Film Room Podcast. Baines has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires again. And the Lakers win the game. The Lakers win.
Seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.